Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Sunday afternoon, and I intend this week to do um, two history podcasts uh, for a reason. This is a packed week in Jewish history. Happened to come across it, Derek Hageman's show yesterday when I was talking. And uh, I'll share with you. Today's uh, podcast um, is being sponsored by the Steens, by Liban Daniel Steen. She's doing it in honor of her husband's birthday, which I believe is today. So happy birthday, Daniel Steen. Uh, and uh, apparently they're a bunch of yakis, according to what she wrote me. <laughs> And uh, to, tomorrow is Chavsivan, so I'm going to talk about Chavsivan. It's not a Yekesha thing, thing exactly. Although, uh, I don't know them well, but I'll bet you that if they're Yekis, probably they originally are Pilesha. The reason I say that is because um, the so-called Yekis, the Jews in Germany, most of them fled to Poland in the late 14 and 1500s. And then later on in the 16, 17, 1800s, they returned back to Germany. So most people that you call Yekis are actually uh, Ashkenaz, originally Germany, then Poland, and then back to Germany. Now, not necessarily. It may be that the Steen family is from those uh, minority of German Jews who never left Germany. There are such people, of course, obviously, and in Western Germany and so forth. She's writing me that her husband's family was in Hamburg. Yeah, but that doesn't tell you anything. So, uh... Anyway, as I, and I see one to near Israel. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, they are loyal, um, not only listeners, but supporters, uh, uh, generous supporters. I appreciate that. That's what helps us run. Let me say in general um, that I'm actually out of sponsors this week uh, for today and tomorrow, the two history ones. And then we're uh, dry over here. So I don't know what we'll be. But maybe someone will uh, step forward and sponsor for the, the Parsha and the Haftarah in, in the course of this coming week. I hope that they do. Meanwhile, I'm not going to fire a cup on that. I just want to remind everybody that I'm doing this Yiddish uh, series on um, YouTube. So if you go to my YouTube channel, Rabbi David Katz, uh, you can see the two that we have already done. And uh, the third lecture, um, each one's kind of long, though. i got to warn you, the third lecture should be up tonight. I did it in the last uh, several days, and uh, my son and I, and uh, it should be up running tonight. If not, then tomorrow, um, if you're interested. It's a big topic. And uh, if you do go on to the YouTube channel, do subscribe, because uh, I don't have enough subscribers on there. And I am turning up, and others always, uh, if I drain me a cup, you have to get more subscribers, and uh, therefore it doesn't hurt anything, so please do that. With those preliminaries out of the way, let me uh, address myself. <clears throat> um, because Liba said that the husband's, her husband D Daniel's uh, uh, birthday is today, so it's the 19th of uh, Sivan, I'm happy to do it. As soon as she said 19 days in Sivan, I immediately realized <clears throat> tomorrow is Chav Sivan, 20th day of Sivan. And I don't know if I've ever spoken about that, or I'm sure I have off and on. But uh, what I'd like to do today, and I'm going to warn you, this week is uh, a number of a, a, a large number of very important historical events in Jewish history, which have entered Jewish tradition in unusual ways. Um, I won't say halakhically necessarily, but uh, nearly halakhically, that many people are just not aware of. That's what I want to talk about. But specifically, I'm sure I've spoken, I mean, I did a series X number of years ago, and it's on my uh, YouTube site called Cossacks and Jews, in which I went to the Xeris Tachvatat, because that's what tomorrow happens. The Khmelnytsky massacre, the Cossack stuff, I did in detail in five or six talks long ago. So if you really want to get it in detail, you can take a look at that if that's what interests you. Uh, but um, I want to talk about Khapsivan, which came to be observed as the uh, commemoration date of this by those who still do, uh, not many, and uh, you know, Slichism and Hugim and that sort of thing, and why Dafka Khapsivan. And read to you from the originals uh, passages 
in the Jewish literature. When I say Jewish literature, I'm referring over here to Jewish historiography. These are famous chronicles of old. Not that they're 100% accurate. That's a separate question. But they are very much part of the Jewish memory and Jewish tradition. You understand? So I want to do something from Yevay Metzula and from uh, the Shach and then something from the Emek uh, And at least you'll hear the original texts. And these are famous pieces of Jewish memory. You can't be a regular Jew without having at least heard this once. Um, I doubt you it did. I'm assuming most of you did. You just have a vague idea of what I'm talking about. And without any further ado, you follow along with me. Now, each of these passages is not that long. It's a two, three pages or something like that. But it, 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 they speak for themselves, I would say. Now, what we're speaking about over here, and I believe you know this. Um, I'm sure there must have been articles over the weekend. Now they have all these newspapers and stuff like that. Uh, but the Jews had what they called the golden age of the Jews in Poland. When I speak about Poland, I mean the Poland that once upon a time existed, which no longer does. The great um, kingdom of Poland-Lithuania. There was a double kingdom like Austria-Hungary. So it was Poland-Lithuania. Uh, the king of Poland, the Grand Duchy of Lithuania. I did this extensively um, on my lectures. So if you're interested in detail, you can go look over there. Suffice it to say the Jews had it good. Let's say roughly speaking from 1500 to 1648. Uh, but then things blew up in their face. There are reasons for it, and very, very briefly, without getting stuck in this, because uh, I could go on and on, uh, the, there's what you call Poland and the Ukraine. Look at a map. Today they're two separate countries. At that time, the Poles ruled the Ukrainians. The Poles oppressed them. That's just a fact. Um, the Jews were part of the Polish oppression apparatus, because the Polish landlord would have the Jew collect the taxes from them, and, uh, you know, beat them up if they didn't pay, and run the millstones and the bars and all kinds of things like that. And therefore, as far as they're concerned, the Jews are part of the problem. And uh, eventually this exploded. What you have to understand is that Poland, and if you want to know what I'm talking about, again, I'll take the liberty of saying, go Google a map of Europe in, let's say, 1640, or 1600 even. And you'll see, obviously, a different map than today. And one of the things you'll see is this very large territory called Poland or Poland-Lithuania, and it borders on the Turkish Empire, the Ottoman Turks, specifically on the part of the Ottoman Turks called the Tatars, which is like the Crimea and all that. And this is as far as the Muslims got, and then they stopped them. So the Muslims were the Turks and the Muslims. They kept expanding and conquering a third of Europe until they ran into a place that they couldn't conquer anymore. And in our case, it was Poland, and specifically, it was the Ukraine. Okay, So the Ukraine was the buffer province of the kingdom of Poland against the Muslim invasions. Now, what happened was they never had a real peace. And so it was a state of war that existed all the time in the 1500s, 1600s, and early 1700s. Whenever you have a situation like that, which unfortunately you and I are familiar with today, for example, with Israel and Gaza. So what happens is the violence always continues, punctuated by truces. And in the old days, A would raid B and B would raid A. The Tatars would come in every year and raid Poland for slaves. They would capture white women, Jewish, non-Jewish, whatever, bring them back to the Turkish Empire as slaves. And um, the Cossacks would do the same thing back to the Muslims. That's how life was lived. And whenever you have that kind of business that there's no peace, just gets more and more violence. So each one tries to up the ante by being more violent. You know, you slice people in half, I slice people in three parts. You burn them alive, I roast them before you burn them alive. You know, that kind of sort of thing. And each side, the Ukrainians and the Tatars and the Turks, became increasingly savage over the years and refined all kind of tortures and death things. And unfortunately, the Ukrainians used this on the Jews, among others. Okay, So uh, when you read the full business, you get pretty uh, nauseous. Now, the uprising took place in the eastern Ukraine and caught everybody by surprise. It shouldn't have, but it did. And all of a sudden, you know, the peasants and all this stuff are rising and killing everybody in their way, burning them alive, uh, cutting off the hands of pregnant women and then ripping them open, all kind of terrible business. Uh, and uh, walking over babies, it's pretty rough. Now, the Jews were taken by surprise, just like the Poles. Whoever could run away, ran away, but a lot of people couldn't run away and they were caught. Uh, in a lot of places, what happened was the Jews went to fortified towns these would be Polish centers, and the Poles had fortified their towns specifically for this kind of situation in case there was an uprising. 
And the idea was you hold out in the town against all sieges until relief comes. Now, what happened was that most of the time it didn't work. Sometimes it did, but most of the time it didn't. And in those places where the Cossacks were able to break in, they massacred and tortured all the Jews and so on and so forth, okay? They usually gave them a chance to convert, but in 1648, the Jews, by and large, did not convert, and so they died. They did not commit suicide, as happened by the Crusades in 1096. And that's just very interesting. There are famous uh, history um, articles. Not that you need to know this. Jacob Katz comes to mind. And the title of the article is Ma Bain Tatnu Latachbatat. What's the difference between Tatnu, uh, 1096, 1648? How come the Jews in one place committed suicide and the other place didn't commit suicide? But at Sa'ad Shavshaman, it's in all these cases, they did do Yahargwayavar. They did do, um, they died rather than convert for the most part. And so if you were a Jew in Poland this time and they said, convert, he said, I'm not going to convert, you can kill me. And they killed him, tortured him, and everything like that. So that's just a, a Nakuda. Now, the thing is like this. This particular violence lasted a, for a whole year, roughly, something like that. It's, it has starts and, and stops and spurts. And the truth of the matter is, to describe it accurately is would take me a long time. If anybody's at all interested, you get the new Adam Teller book that I've mentioned from time to time. I think it's called Rescuing the, the Lost Souls or something like that. And he goes into it in a pretty good detail. The book just came out. He's a good professor, a good historian if you're actually interested in the nitty-gritty details. It's also true that the Jewish accounts are very famous. I'm going to read from the famous one now. On the other hand, um, on the other hand, it doesn't, uh, doesn't mean that they're accurate. Um, and so the president, my show, got up yesterday and said, reading from some papers, so, oh, they killed a half a million Jews. Well, that's baloney. Um, that's way exaggeration. Uh, now, even one Jew is too many. More likely... I mean, I'm, you know, they think now 20,000, maybe 25,000. That's also terrible, but I'm just saying, look how they exaggerated. Now, uh, that being the case, so um, the massacres took place in 1648, 1649. By 1650-51, that had died down. Some other massacres came a few years later from a different group, from the Russians. But uh, specifically, what we call the Xeris Tachpatat, you know, left everybody in a shock. And one of the survivors wrote an account of it. And he was a from guy. It's called Yuvain Mitsula from the word, from the Pasig in, um, in Tehillim. And uh, Yuvain Mitsula come Yavon, you know, he was Greeks. The Ukrainians were Greek Orthodox, so they call me Yavonim. Uh, even my mother used to say Afania, you know, a Yavon. Ivan, you know. And uh, uh, this book became extremely classic. I don't think there was any Godel that didn't read the Yuvain Mitsula. And many Nakedolim as well. It's a it's a classic of Jewish historiography. It's the kind of thing that the Mishnah Bura says. I'm serious about this. You look it up. The Mishnah Bura said Holy Shabbos. Well, you're not allowed to read a history book. Oh, but the Yavim Mitzulah, that you can read on Shabbos. They're they're from. It was almost you could call it almost Torah literature. Now, um, there were a bunch of massacres, and when it was all over, and J- Polish Jewry was bloodied. And a lot of people were still missing and slaves and never came back and so on and so forth. And all those dead bodies. So the Polish Jews got together and made a Yom HaShoah. Uh, now the question was, what day? After all, the massacres went on all year. You know, I mean, there was a lot of days of the years. And so they ended up picking one day, Chafsivan, which is tomorrow, to be the Yom HaShoah, which obviously will represent all the different massacres, even though they took place on different days. That's a Yom HaShoah. Why they did Chavsivan, I'll come a little bit later. But the specific massacre that took place in Chavsivan was in the town of Nemirov, a very famous place, Nemirov. It became famous, actually, from this massacre. And it is described in the Yvain Metzula um, very vividly. And um, and I'm going to share it with you because this is stuff that people, you, you know, your bubby's bubby's bubby used to read this stuff in Yiddish. Today, on 19th of Sivan, on Chav Sivan, for the family, they should know what happened. And as I said, it's a short text, so it won't take me long to read this. And here we go. It's called Perik Hay in the Yvain Mitzul, called Gzeiro Shalkak Nemirov. The decree, or meaning the, the massacre that took place in Nemirov. It says, Vahikishmo Hatzorir Chmelnitsky, Yamach Shom Shehudim Rabin Nisasul, Lakak Nemirov. When Chmelnitsky heard that a lot of Jews had run away to this town called Nemirov, which was a fortified town. 
when they had a lot of money with them, become become And anyway, even without the Jewish refugees, Namira was known as a very wealthy town. And had a big Jewish community, as we would say today. It was a, a, a paraphrase from the Shabbos Chazon. So he sent one of his generals of the Cossacks with 600 Cossacks and swords. And the Cossacks wrote to the Polish governors of the city that they should help them. Right? And so in other words, they basically said like this, betray the Jews for us, hand them over. And the people of the city, and even the guy in the city did not have an issue. In other words, before they were solicited to do so, they already planned to screw the Jews. Not because they liked the Kazakhs, but because they hated the Jews. So it was a Wednesday, the Kazakhs approached the city, the Jews in the Amiro saw the, the great army and they got scared. But the army approaching him, it wasn't clear if it's a Polish army, which would be a relief force, or was it Cossacks, which would be a hostile force. They couldn't tell in the distance when they saw the forces approaching the city from far away. But all the Jews immediately ran to the citadel, the fortified area in the city. So basically, the Jews took over a fortified part in the city and locked the doors and were prepared to fight. After all, what choice do you have? So this is just interesting. Did they have their Mayor Kahana types and that sort of thing? It seems that they did. I may remind you, you may remember this, that um, there's all these discussions in um, the halachic literature about Simchas Torah, if you can um, use a, a gunpowder for firecrackers during, you know, as part of the uh, hakafas, you know, the Simcha Yaseira. Where the heck did they get gunpowder? All the shuls and places I used to have a powder magazine just in case. There, there, there were weapons there, and that's how life was lived. Uh, it is disturbing to note that they might have to go like this in America now. You already have everybody in shul, where every, every shul has people with weapons. Now, anyway, when the Jews locked themselves in this fortified position, what did the Kazakhs do? They faked them out. They put up Polish flags. All these guys look alike, he says. The only way you can tell the difference is by their flags. The Polacks in the city knew it was a trick. And the Polacks, who were supposed to be on the side of the Jews, right? It's the Jews and the Polish against the Cossacks, formally. But the Polacks hated the Jews so much that they said they said to the Jews, so they went along with the fake. They told the Jews, Pish oh, it's a relief force. It's our guys. Open the open your citadel. Is 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 a is a Polish army coming to help us? against the Cossacks. You can let them in. And the Jews didn't know better. They saw Polish flags from a distance. And they saw it's true. And so they opened the gate. Then, so who busted in the Cossacks with their swords out? And the people of the city joined the Kazakhs to kill the Jews. So, so much for your allies. Uh, with Kharobas and Ramachim, Asim, with, uh, this is Mamish, with swords and spears, and with uh, pruning hooks, you know, with farm implements. And there's a movie out, I told you, uh, what's it called, Volin or something like that. And you see the, Pol- uh, the, the the Ukrainians in World War II using these farming implements on the Polacks. And a lot of people just had sticks, baseball bats, as we'd say. Everybody rushed the Jewish quarter in the citadel and started just killing everybody. The women and everybody was raped, violated. Nashim and Basulos. 
A number of Jewish girls and women tried to jump into the moat surrounding the city, the, the, the fortress. In other words, they committed suicide by jumping in the water, but tell them when they drowned there rather than get raped. So is that, this is all happening tomorrow, right? And a lot of men who knew how to swim, apparently women at that time didn't know how to swim, they also jumped in the, uh, into the water and they were swimming and they thought that what he called they get away with it. But the Kazakhs swam after them with swords and uh, you know hooks and stuff like that. And, they, and the Kazakhs killed them. Because look, I want to tell you something. A Jewish guy, if he knows how to swim, it was at JCC, a few laps. These Kazakhs were, you know, and they could swim very well. They could overtake them. Some of the Kazakhs shot down with their rifles into the water. And they, you know, so they had, a, what do you call it? Shooting fish in a barrel. They had fun shooting at the Jews who were uh, trying to swim away in the moat. Uh, and everybody, all the Jews were killed. So this is a, just a horrific scene. And there was this big Talmud Chacham over there. He said, the Rosh Yeshiva, at a time when the Yeshivas were flourishing in Poland. Right, so he was highly educated. And he had made a drush up on the previous Shabbos. You can imagine the atmosphere in the shul prior to this uh, entry. You know, everybody knew this might happen. And the speech he made on that Shabbos was, get ready to do your hard yavar. <laughs> right? Unbelievable. In case it happens, he told him the din, you know what I mean? He should say your hard yavar, he make a bracha, and so on and so forth. And they followed it. And he tried to jump into the moat and swim away. And uh, Kazakh seized him and was going to kill him. And he said, don't kill me, I'll give you money. He said, if you don't kill me, I'll give you money. Now, you know what they did. He took him to the house and he showed him where all the money was hidden. Right? And surprisingly, the Kazakh let him go after he showed him all the money. And then he took his aged mother and they hid in a house, certain house, until the next morning. And the next day, um, so he says 21, you know what I mean, 20, 21, whatever, 22, what I mean. The Kazakhs, those momsers, went like the Germans, looking house to house in case anybody got away. That's who they were. And so, what the mother and child did to Rosh Hashiva and his mother, what they did was they ran to the Jewish cemetery said if they get killed they should at least die on Jewish soil because they hoped that if they'll kill them on the land of the Jewish cemetery, then when they get buried it will be in that karga, you know, that's what their hope was uh, what a terrible story and when they got near the cemetery, there was a Ukrainian who lived in the town. He was a shoemaker. And he took a big baseball bat. He started whacking the Rosh Hashiva over the head. The mother begged the Kazakh, or the Ukrainian, kill me instead. He said, no, I'm going to kill your son first, and then I'm going to finish you off, and that's what he did. Right? Three days after the massacre, when things quietly quieted down, maybe the Kazakhs moved on, the Rosh Hashiva's wife, who somehow must have been hidden successfully, she buried him. Interestingly, they didn't kill all the women. Uh, he says that um, when they had these gzeras, um they kept the women alive. Apparently, if I understand this correctly, they're planning to keep these women as concubines. Except the old ones. You see what I'm saying? That confirms 
the analysis that what they had in mind was, you know, I'll bring a couple girls back, even though they're Christians, but, you know, what the heck. Now, so in other words, somehow or other, the women in the town weren't all killed, and one of them rushed Sheba's wife, and she buried her husband. And they tell the famous story, this is classic, and um, it was in Nemerov, on Chav Sivan, that the following famous story happens of a pretty Jewish girl, from a very Chashav elite family, and she was grabbed like a Kazakh who married her, or whatever he did, so they had the Kazakh wedding ceremony, before they would consummate the marriage, she told him something as an arma, as a trick. She said, you know, I have a magic formula. We're like witches. We're Jews. We're witches. I have a magic formula that I'm like Superman. If I say this formula, no bullet can hurt me. You don't believe me? Try it. Shoot me and you'll see. It's like Superman. It bounces off. Shoot me with your rifle. Logically, it won't hurt me. The husband took her at his word. Who would say a thing like that? And he shot her. And of course she died. She wanted to die. Get it? She wanted to die. Rather than fall into the hands. Another story happened in the memory number of who was, again was married to this Cossack uh, she said let's have a ceremony in the church the church is right behind the uh, bridge he said okay fine and he said and he dressed up um, you know to put on fancy clothes and made a Christian ceremony with a band and the rest of it Kim and as she walked with him uh, over the bridge to the church, she jumped into the water and drowned. And many stories like this happen. Too many to record. If you want to count up how many Jews were killed on land and water, there are about 6,000. In various tortures, some escaped to Tolchin, where there was a stronger fortress. And then he talks in the next chapter about what happened to them, which I'm not going to go into. Uh, that's an example, a very famous example, excuse me, but an example of a story since everybody, so many died, Al Kiddush Hashem, as you see over here, the women and everything like this. This gripped the imagination. And this led people to say, if we're going to have a day, that should be the day. You get it? Uh, so I just read you the original source of which the, the, the rabbis and the leaders of the Polish Jewry, when um, they came uh, to try to say, this, we have to commemorate this. It can't be, you know, like it happened after the show up. There's no commemoration. They, they didn't understand that in the 17th century. This is from God. This is like the Tocha. So we should make slichos and takonas and no weddings and all kind of minhagim that most of which have fallen into desuetude. But once upon a time we're held, uh, you know, stark. I'm not telling anybody they can't get married on Chav um, I wouldn't, but, you know, I, it's not a date at all. Now, the second source is, I have a very good addition of Yavim Mitzula, you know, the kudos like I always preferred, and it also includes a poem, you might say, an, uh, an epic poem from the Shach. That's right, the Shach and the Shulchanar, who lived at this time, he wasn't there, he was in Vilna, and he did not get that far. Later on, the Russians invaded Vilna, and the Shach fled from there, and he ran away to Central Europe. I spoke about that once. But one of the things the Shach did, and he's a member of that generation, he was a relatively young guy, because he didn't live a long life, and he wrote something called Megillus Efa, Megillat Efa, and he says the title is Hetek Megillus Efa Lamas Keres Avon. Hear that? Lamas Keres Avon. Shechibra Chacham the Shach Mivilna Mimikur Mangzok Shadr 
all kind of terrible incidents. To commemorate all these sorts of things. And I'm only going to read a piece of it, obviously, because it's a, it's a good 10, 12 pages. But I'll read um, up to the part including Nemirov. So then you'll have on this uh, podcast, this recording, at least you'll be able to hear the original um, text of this sort of thing. And here's the shach. Bishnas Chameshes al often bedalad meis ushmano lebrias table shachim. It's a poem. In the year 1648, Nisan, God You know, people start crying. Because the Kazakhs began in Nisan by bumping off people who were walking on the road individually. You understand? It's sort of like what happened the other day in Israel. You know, they pick off the stragglers, as we say. Some poor fellows are caught in the regular, in the wrong place at the wrong time. So the Polish government sent a whole army against them. To punish these empty Kazakh guys. And when the Polish army came close to the Kazakh army, he's giving you the history over here, the Shach. The Kazakhs, the, the, he calls them the Rekim, the empty ones. The Kazakhs came with trickery. Because these you know, guys who are written in there, uh, in the books, because the Kazakhs were enrolled in in, in, in the, officially in the Polish army. He's telling you the history of that time, that before the uprising, used to be regiments, 12 regiments of a thousand apiece. And these were the Kazakhs who were what they call enrolled Kazakhs. And uh, they were supposed to be part of the Polish army. Now they turned on the Poles, the Poles didn't realize it. The Shardis is a Ozro. To be in the Polish army and go where the king tells you to. And now they broke their uh, uh, promise. And they, so the, the Poles, I'm sorry, the Ukrainians who were in the Polish army turned uh, uh, against the Poles and joined the other Kazakhs. And they got a whole army of Tatars, what he calls the Kedar. To join them, and they surrounded the Polish army with the Polish general. They wiped out the Polish army. I think this is the Battle of Khorsun. Uh I'm sorry, I'm solving. So it's just interesting. I'm just showing you. Here's the Shach on Chosh Mishpat, you know, and on the uh, there. He's giving you a history lesson. This battle of Khorsun happened three days before Shuas. It was on a Wednesday. So what happened? As a bad mazel, the king of Poland happened to die coincidentally on that day. The king of Poland died far away in, in Lithuania, far from the battle scene. So he actually died near Vilna, the Shach is living in Vilna. And when the king died, he had, obviously had no idea about the Disastrous course of the battle. The Kazakhs, of course, didn't know anything about his death. We were the servants, right, of the, uh, what he called? Oh, no. We, the Jews, who were the servants of the Rabban Shalom, scattered all over the Grand Duchy of Lithuania. We were crying over the death of the king. Uh, I think it was uh, Sigismund, who was good to the Jews, right? See, saying the, saying the irony, we were crying over the death of this good king. We did not know that far away in the Ukraine, we had plenty to cry over. A bunch of Yidin got killed. All the Jews in Ukraine who could fled their house. They left all their property behind 
They threw behind them their houses and their territory. When they came to all people had was their body on the, you know, like you say today, the shirt on your back. And everybody rescued a little bit of his nechosan. And the holiday of Shuas, everybody traveled. They violated the law. Not really. I mean, they're allowed to do it. He's just trying to say they all were traveling um, as fast as they could on whatever transportation could get, or at least walking, all during Shavuos. I mentioned to you the other day that Shabina Rav, for example, in 1939, was riding in the, in the in the carriage, whatever, running away from the Germans on Rosh Hashanah. Everybody had to flee, or I'll stand and fight. And different whole Shavuos turned upside down. Here we go. And the Shach says, many ran away to Nemirov. And in that area, they, this happened at the beginning of the massacre, so they didn't, weren't even aware that the king of Poland had just died. And therefore, Makavim owed Leoshev Tilos. Therefore, they were still hoping to God, Leoshev Tilos, that the king of Poland, the Bonishim would send Yishlach Ezrin Alidei Amelech, Bamrav Makhelos. They thought the king of Poland will send a rescue army. They didn't know that there was no king of Poland. And when the news hit them, they went into a panic because there was no king in Poland. So there was no government. Because Poland was an elective monarchy. Every time the king died, they had, it took a long time to get new elections and elect a new guy. That's part of the crazy system of the Polish state, but that's what they had at that time. And so, they were in terror. And they were crying their heads off because they saw a Holocaust approaching. And they saw that the Rabboni Shalom, the Nor Alilos, has prepared disaster for them. And the Cossacks, when they heard the king died, the Polacks went into a deep panic when they heard their own king was dead. They went into a panic. Nobody could travel on the roads. It was The whole place was dominated by Cossacks. About 50 Cossacks showed up through some trickery. And they blew trumpets and stuff like that outside the city. And they pretended to be a Polish army on its way, like you described in the other book. Right? As if a Polish relief force was coming with horses and wagons and stuff like that. So they should be, so they should open the, 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 the citadel they built the Unulus and not be locked. Bitslichu Mysis Satan, and it was a Mysis Satan succeeded. Bechin also Mazim Mosea Mysin Apollos, and they succeeded in their in their treachery. Behargo Beir, Kamosheshes Allah from the Fashos. So the Shah confirms what the other one said. It's killed about 6,000 people. Jews, Kedoshim, Gaonim, Rabonim, Kachamim, Navonim, Zakanim, excuse me. Yeshishim, Bachurim, Besulus, Chasonim, Kalos, Taf, Venoshim. You know what that means. Ubefrat, Hagon, Marina, Rebichil, Michal, Chacham, Chorashim, and the big Rosh Hashim, Michal, Michal, we talked about before. Bekam, Ameus, Tobu, Mamayim, many were drowned. Bechomini, Yisim, Koshim, and all kind of tortures. Ubebesa, Knesses, Lifni, Arn, Kachi, Kachim. Right? And when the Kazakhs busted into the shoal, in front of the Arn Kodesh, in the shoal, Shachta, Bechalofos, they pulled out knives and they slaughtered those. They cut the necks. Hamasharim, Hachazonim, Bashamoshim. All the officials of the, of the show. They used to have choirs and they had Chazonim and Shamoshim. Shom, He'elu, B'nei Yisrael, Olos, Bekarbonos, Ve'ishim. Ishim are fire offerings. That means they were burned alive. Oktu Atzmam, they did like Akedis Yitzhak. Notice, for fun, they tied the Jews up like like Avram uh, tied up Yitzhak, you know what I mean? Uh, what's the right word? Hand to the legs in the behind you. Octu atzum keelim kvasim tushin as if they were animals. L'reich nicholk yalla l'shokan tashishin. And they end up being mamish 
Karbonus, to Rabbonus Shalom, as a Rech Nichach, you know, as, as martyrs. Then they burned down the shoal. Shom Shagutsarm Birogshim, and they howled with delight over this. But see, call a safer Torahs, Yeshan Machadashim, took out the Torahs, Ukram Ligzarm, and they ripped them up. And some Lemirmus Ragliyanim Behemusism Prussian, and they threw them in the street that everybody should walk over to them men, women, children, and animals. That's how much they hated the Jewish stuff. Right? They Kurom Ligzarim. And they took a lot of parchment from the Sefer Torah and used them, like we say today, you know, uh, to, as a, to patch up shoes. You know, if your shoes or sandals have a hole, so you take a piece of the Sefer Torah as a contempt. Let's say, for example, yes, you have a shoe and it's got a hole in the bottom. So you plug it up, you know, with this sort of thing. Um Pastelim, and all kind of articles of clothing, and they turned Xav downwards, while and they on purpose uh, trampled over the uh, the Sefer Torahs. Now the only po- po- I can't say positive, the only positive thing of this is that sometime later. A pol- I'll call it a Polish revenge army came, uh, led by the famous Prince Vishnevetsky, uh, Jeremy Jeremy Vishnevetsky, who was uh, the leading the landlord, let's say, and he was the only guy that protected the Jews. I don't know exactly why, nobody knows exactly why, but even the infamous Sula says he's the only one that when he came with his army, he tried to protect the Jews to some degree, um, and he came back to punish. You know anyone who had participated as well as as a famous scene. He says, "I I will drown the the rebellion in blood." Now he didn't totally succeed, but he killed a lot of these Cossacks and stuff like that, Ukrainians. And when they would come to a town, especially like over here, say like this: "Were you in the rebellion?" "Oh no, let me see your shoes." <laughs> and if they found any Hebrew writing in the shoes, he shechted them. He cut them in pieces. You see? In fact, he he burned them slowly. Uh, it was a bloody time. There's actually a movie about this. Um, called with, let, let me put it this way. Uh, uh, Joseph Sinkiewicz is the uh, famous writer from the 19th century. Uh, and he wrote all these historical novels. And he got the Nobel Prize in 1906, I remember. And uh, he has a trilogy about this era. And he's a guy, of course. And uh, he's writing from Polish perspective. And he wrote the three volume uh, work uh, with Fire and Sword. And then the Potup, the uh, the uh, Mobble, and then the uh, Colonel uh, something or the Vlazovetsky or something like that. And they all take place during this period. The one that deals with Tachbatat is uh, with Fire and Sword. When I was a little kid, they had a, a classic illustrated comics that I, if anybody's old enough to remember those things. And, uh, which I didn't understand at that time. I was too young. Uh, but uh, they made a movie about it in modern Poland. A Jewish, uh, Polish uh, filmmaker, and I saw it online with the English subtitles. It's like a long movie, and it's a uh, and you see over there, uh, and even though it's a totally Jewish operation, but you see at one point, Prince uh, Vishnevetsky, who was a famous guy, very controversial, and a classic proud Polish aristocrat, you know, with the handlebar mustache and all that, and he tells his uh, officer, he says, "Get the women and children out of here and put the Jews with them too." Right, get the women and children Jews out of here, because we're gonna have a big fight. So this is the attitude of the landlords who says, "My Jews, therefore I protect them." And uh, but that's rare, okay? That's rare. So when he found that somebody had a Jewish writing on him, or a piece of tefillin, or something like that, or a strap from tefillin holding up his pants, that guy was toast. But that's the only positive thing you can say out of this. Now, those are the two classic uh, tales that I just read you: the Avamid Sul and the Shach, both written in the 1650s. It describes what happened to Chavsivan. And you can sort of get the idea why it was that this day became a um, a day of mourning. Okay? Now, it's not the only case. He's got in the book Community After Community. He goes into details about Community After Community. You can't say, why did the Jews fight back? They were deceived. You know what I'm They were deceived. Um, what can you do? It happened in another town, and then they killed the Polacks too. And after that, the Polish realized 
we betrayed the Jews, we're hurting ourselves. But until that happened, a lot of Jews went down in, in horrible ways. Now, um, why did they pick this day? Because Jews in the 1600s are very conservative, just like Chazanish. So they said, we're, 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 we don't want to make them a new day on the calendar. They felt funny about that. Uh, in the keynotes on Tishbov, you may possibly remember, they say, you're not supposed to make a new day, therefore we'll include the keynotes of the uh, uh, Crusades now on Tishbov. There is such a sensibility. There's also an opposite sensibility which says, no, any day where something like this happens deserves to be remembered. You know, Musar of Timos and all that. Uh, but in this case, if I remember correctly, the leading rabbi was the Tosas Yonto, and he said, there's already a, 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 a minig out there to observe Chavsivan, which was an unlucky day. So therefore, we're just going to add this to Chavsivan. So what was the original Chavsivan? That's the Kedosh Blah. Again, I think I mentioned it. However, I'm going to... Um, again, it's a business of reading three, four pages. Um, it's from the Emek HaBochem. So I just mentioned before, I'm sharing with you today classics of Jewish old historiography. These are considered like Sfarim already. There was this guy, Yosef HaKohen, in the 1500s. He's a Jew in Italy, from Guy. And he wrote these uh, books, which became part of the From World. And one's called Emek Abacha, which is a list of of, um, of Gezeris, of, of tragedies that happened at different times and places in Jewish history. And they're very popular. What do I mean popular? This is what you read during the three weeks, and, and a fast day, and so on and so forth. And he mainly is collecting from earlier works. And so uh, that's what's happening over here. The great historian or chronicler of the Tachvatat, I'm sorry, of the Crusades in that era, because that's where we're going back to that, is Ephraim of Bonn. He was one of the Balitosis, uh, Rabbi Ephraim of Bonn. You know, Bonn is the, the, used to be the capital of uh, Germany. And um, Hirsch went to college there, by the way. And um, he wrote, among other things, Chronicles. He's the guy who wrote the story about uh, Rabbi Amnon that you read on the Rosh Hashanah. You know, what am I thinking of? That famous prayer. It's on the tip of my tongue. You know what I mean. Uh, you know, and so forth. So uh, uh, that's where the story comes from. So the same author is the source in Jewish history for the story that happened on Chav Sivan in 1170, in the time of Rabbeinu Tam, although Rabbeinu Tam's not part of it. And he tells the story as follows. Again, I'm reading you from the original source, meaning I'm reading you from the Emek uh, Sefer, which again I have in the Kudos, <laughs> uh, which is copy a copy from the Ephraim Abon in the original. And he says, by a tough, tough Kulam Adal, of him in the year 1170, 1171, this is the period of Balitosis in France, and so forth. The guy went to uh, water his horse, Guy, in the evening. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, it was a Jew. And so he found there a guy who was also taking his horse to water or whatever. And the Jew got real scared. Right? And he pulled out like a piece of leather from his clothes. And I guess the the, the, the guy's horse saw it and got scared. And the horse wouldn't go and drink in the water. The guy's horse. Now, this is an era of superstition. So this guy ran back to his master and said, I saw witchcraft. I saw the Jew throw the body of a, of a kid into the water. This kid who had bothered the Jews, they obviously murdered him. And I saw it, the same Jew might murder me. So he made a bold cock and bull story. Even my horse was afraid. So I came to tell you in Boulogne, in Boulogne. Now, in the Jewish community in Boulogne, 
in Blois, rather, <coughs> there was this very hush of Jewish woman. I mentioned this a bunch of times. In Ashkenaz, of old, you had these famous Jewish ladies. They ran the business. The husband was the schlepper. You understand? And uh, sometimes they're very impressive women. They ran empires. Like we would say today, you know, uh, a captain of industry. And here you have it. Pulcinello Shma. Her name was Pulcinello, which is uh, old French for pretty. Yagafa. And he knew that his master, this guy who he's talking to, hates her. With Moshom for a long time, because she was so powerful. And so the master of the guy jumped on a horse. And he went to the Sarhoir, who been Blial, with a bum. And he said, The Jews murdered this kid. My servant saw him last night. I told you, the guy just took out a Kanaf or. He just took out like a like a, a, a piece of uh, leather, that's all. He didn't kill anybody. But he, he's charging with that. And the Sarhir got angry. And he arrested all the Jews. About 40. In the base of Sarah's room in dungeon. But the Daber this girl, this lady, she spoke to them and said, Don't worry, I'll take care of this. Because she wasn't arrested. She trusted the Sar who was Ohefer. It doesn't mean they were romantic. It means she found favor. Let's put it this way. This is the Jews in the Middle Ages. If she can do a good business deal for the guy, financially, you know, he likes her. She was Aisha meaning she was a captain of industry. Right? But it wasn't successful. She wasn't able to persuade the ruler, the duke, or the count to do anything. Because the duchess or the countess uh, talked to the husband, she was jealous of this Jewish woman. But the Daberl and she spoke evilly about the Jews. So you have a movie over here, right? As they always say, a miniseries. Uh, so this duchess, she had stolen her husband. And as a result, when Pulcinella came to speak on behalf of the Jews, she wasn't able to find favor. And he despised her, being under the wife's influence. He actually told the guards, don't even let this Jewish woman into the palace. He was, she was the only guy in the community, only person in the community that hadn't been arrested. Right? And he wanted to charge them with murder, but he wasn't able to. Right? Because there were witnesses who, who who were making such charges. So I'm not sure about the Hebrew here, but anyway, that's what it says. Uh, I think there's missing a word. And what is it? He had no witnesses. Get it? So it wasn't a, a regular case. You know, you can't just arrest somebody and say that he did something, you have no evidence. Not if you want to call it a court. Except that here we are in medieval France. A guy Shabachar came and said to the prince, to the duke, let me give you advice. I can bring this case to light. Don't let the Jews pay you off. That's number one. Take this Evid, who made the claim that he saw him throw the body into the water. Right? And do a water ritual. A water test. Throw the, the evid into the river. Make sure the priests throw some holy water first into the river to make the river um, uh, act in a certain... You know, make the river uh, do a Christian act. Um, and see if he drowns or not. If he rises to the top, it means he was telling the truth. If he doesn't rise to the top and sinks to the bottom and drowns, Means he was a liar. Now that's bull. That's got nothing to do with he's telling the truth. But that's this is in the 1100s. So you know they call trial by uh, ordeal. That's what you're doing over here. Instead of Duke liked that idea. So they took this Evid who had claimed that the Jew had murdered the boy and threw him in the river. And sure enough, they threw him in the water and he rose to the top. Like you and I would. Okay, typically. I threw you at the bottom of the river. But I'm not weighing you down, then you rise to the top. So, therefore, as a result, 
Oh yeah, Stika's Rush, they accused the Jews who were really um, innocent of having done the Russia, and they let the liar to be considered, you know, I mean, the, the, the Tzadik. But Tam Kolir Alimbe said, and the whole city went crazy because he said, oh, God has um, now indicated by this trial by ordeal that the Jews were guilty. That's what you call evidence in France in the 12th century. Anyway, and so the Duke brought in a Jew from somewhere else to speak to them. So the prince basically said like this, let me find another Jew from another town and go to these guys. Maybe they can buy their way out from me if they give me a big bribe. But you see also by and they said they'll give him a big amount of money, a hundred litra, and they'll cancel a lot of debts. Owner Madabrim, say they were already handling, but the Catholic priest was there, and he stopped it, like a sultan. And he said to the Duke, don't get paid up by the Jews. And he persuaded the Duke not to take the deal. And he threw them all in the prison in a, in a wooden jail. They, 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 like a cage made out of wood, which they now surrounded with all kind of wood. They're going to burn them alive. Okay? With all kind of eights and zamoras. As they took the Jews out in this cage, 40 of them, to be burned, they said, He just convert, and you'll save your lives. They wouldn't convert. As a kiddush Hashem, and they tortured them, and they inflicted tortures on them. Maybe by torturing them, as if they didn't have enough trouble, maybe they'll convert. And all the 40 guys said to each other, Let's be stark and die. It's up to God what will happen to us. They turned certain rabbis. They tied them up with the bonds. And they lit the fire. And what happened was, they screwed up the fire because it, in such a way that the fire burned off like Samson in the Bible. The fire burned their ropes. So as they tied them up, but the fires that they lit burned their ropes. So they were able to get out. And they said, they said, look, the Jews said, this proves from God that we're innocent. The fire didn't hurt us. So why can't we go off scot-free? Oh, no, you're not getting out. In other words, the ordeal that they wanted to, they listened to. But the other ordeal, they didn't listen to. And he pleaded with them. They took them back to the base um, of you know, the uh, place where they're going to burn everybody. They tried to escape. And they actually grabbed a kid. In other words, they're gonna, they lit the fire. And these Jews were so angry that they saw like a guard or something like that. And they yanked the guard and threw him into the pit with them, into the uh, cage with them. At least one of the guards should burn too. Uh, no, I'm sorry, it didn't work. Uh, but the other guy pulled the guard out. And they struck him with swords. So notice, the Jewish attempt to take one of them down with him didn't work. Um... Right? And uh, these three, four guys that we just mentioned, uh, they weren't burned together with the others, but they perished from the burning. Notice they didn't bring the whole group in, but they perished the first ones. And the guy were astonished, it says, It is remarkable that the ropes that we tied him up with were burned by the fire, and that these guys are so stark in their faith that they're willing to die for it. Here, let me fix this. Okay, let me see. I had to switch tapes or whatever you call it. But as you see, 
um, these three, four guys, Yabichil, and you see whatever, um, they died, right? Rabdavid Akona, Yoshibachas, Me'ar, Tzorah, and this other guy, Rabdavid Akona, was living in one of the other towns, which belonged to uh, this duke. Ross Kolesh, He saw that all attempts to intervene or plead on their behalf didn't work. Uh, the other um, Jews in other communities gave the guys a ton of money and in return for that money he gave them this farm they didn't burn the, the books but he wouldn't give them the people this is during the reign of King Louis so and so this would be Louis the um, uh, eighth, I think, as I would count it. Uh, maybe Louis the seventh. Doesn't matter to you. And uh, they wrote this to Rabbi Yaakov of Orleans. Uh, and they sent him another letter, right? Not too far from the end now. Uh, and it said, So let's put it this way. Um, maybe I didn't get this right. It seems that they burned everybody. It seems that they burned everybody. And all the people, as they were burning, started singing, the Jews. We hear you singing, we don't know what you're singing. We never heard this song before today. And became clear that what they were singing was Alenu. That's what the guy heard on this terrible day. And therefore I say to you who's writing this, if I'm a bum, you daughters of Israel should cry. Don't wear clothes anymore. You know what I mean? Uh, any nice clothes. So I guess it seemed to me that they only burned the first guy, but I guess I'm wrong. It's meaning they threw all the Jews together in that cage and they burned them all. After a little while, the Jews were able to bury the bones, the burned and charred bones. And they cried a lot, they hurt a lot. And the Jews in France and EAM would be England. As a, as a fast day. Uh, at the behest of Rabbeinu Tom, who was a God of Lador at that time, and he said, we're making this a fast day, baby. And he said, This should be bigger than Tzom Hashvi. Meaning, this is bigger... The fast that we have now for these people in Chavzivim should be bigger than Yom Kippur. Ki Yom Kippurim hu, because it itself is a Yom Kippurim. Because of this story, there developed an old minute uh, of the Kedosh Blois. I'm not exactly sure how many centuries they kept it up. Um, obviously, it was still around in the 1600s to some degree, because they said, well, let's combine this with the Nemirov day, to make this one big Yom HaShoah for the Kedosh Blah that we just mentioned, which was a small group uh, who, who were framed, as you see over here, from this trial by ordeal, baloney, and then the Cossack massacres. The two together came to be Chavsivan. Um, I remember in after the Second World War, they wanted to do this for Yom HaShoah. They said, let's make this Holocaust Day for Hitler. At least it's a, it's a recognized day, and the Chazanish was opposed even to that. Chazanish was even against that, so it didn't happen. In our time, little by little, each group has its own way of commemorating the Shoah on Yom Kippur. I mean, on uh, Tisha B'av, I've seen, but that's a relatively new phenomenon. It happened in my lifetime. Now, um, <clears throat> these two events show you what a big day in the Jewish calendar Chaf Sivan used to be. These two events, I don't think anybody reads this anymore. Very rarely, and. Uh, if everybody read it, they keep it more. Uh, now, there are other events that happened in the course of this week that are mentioned in different Jewish sources, and I hope to get to them you know, uh, tomorrow or maybe the next day, uh, if everything works out. 
but Chav Sivan is like heavy duty. You see here, Chav Sivan is heavy duty. So now, at least you, you if you listen to this, you, you've heard the classic original sources that describe without any embellishment uh, the tragic events of those days. And with that, I say to the students, thanks for the, um, uh, the sponsorship. I hope uh, Daniel has a, a happy birthday today. Not connected in any way with the events of tomorrow, but uh, it's an uh, since you tell me he's from Germany, this is an Ashkenaz uh, type of phenomenon we're dealing with over here. Old, old Ashkenaz. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.